Hey, this is Bokinawa, and this is the Details Podcast, episode number seven. Um, as always, uh, on the other side of the line, on the other side of the internet line, Andrzej Tomic, <laughs> what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> the internet line, that sounds well, technical. Yeah. It doesn't? <laughs> yeah, you sound like an engineer there, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that's good, that's good. I, I, I appear smarter that way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, how, how are you, man? Everything good? Yeah, it's, yeah uh, summer's finally here, so, you know, that's always uh, a plus. It is, it is. Yeah. And uh, uh, I have to say that, um, you know, we haven't been doing the English podcast uh, in a couple of months now. It's been, I think, about more than about two months since we've done the last one. Uh, so it's good to, to be back to English speaking. Um, you know, we, we, do, we do our Slovenian podcast in between when we don't have English speaking guests. Um, but the details podcast, the one we're doing right now, uh, it's on the detailspodcast.com where we post our English um, speaking podcast, should I say so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, anyways, the last, po- last podcast we had was with Dr. Matt Taylor, who is a British astrophysicist um, and is one of the main scientists on the uh, ESA's Rosetta missions, which, is, um, which was about the uh, spacecraft who landed on a comet, uh, which was an extremely um, interesting conversation. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot uh, to have Dr. Matt Taylor talking to us. I think it was it was amazing. He's uh, he's probably uh, one of the uh, I'd say the most popular scientists nowadays with his cool style and his uh, his open open style and and um, open personality. Um, I really really enjoyed that. Um, Andrzej, where can people um, find find our podcast? Uh, where can people um, download it and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, like you said, the podcast is on uh, the detailspodcast.com and then we're also in iTunes, so you can subscribe there and if you leave us a review, that'd be awesome because then more people can find the show and uh, that's uh, pretty much it. Yeah. That's about it. Um, in, the, in the tonight's, or to, should I say today, yeah, tonight's, since it's evening when we're recording this, uh, tonight's episode, uh, our guest is Dan Carlin, who is uh, an American political commentator, amateur historian and a podcaster. Uh, he has an extremely interesting podcast called Hardcore History. It, it really is for true hardcore history fans. Uh, I consider myself one of them. Uh, in my, during my travels, I listen to a lot of his podcasts, uh, which are about different current, uh, different uh, his, historic events uh, throughout history, from Egypt through Roman times. Uh, middle Eve, middle times, or how do you say in, in English? I should I should know that. Uh, middle Ages. Middle Ages. Um, you know, First World War, Second World War, whatever you want. Um, you know, Dan Carlin is talking about it, and he does it in a very unique, very interesting way. Uh, we'll talk to him uh, today about history and about his podcast and about everything connected to it. Um, and he has another podcast, right, called Common Sense, yep. uh, which is more of a political podcast, uh, and it's more about current events. Uh, we'll also talk about that. So, um, me as a, as a history fan, um, having a chance to talk to Dan Carlin, it's it's really something amazing. I'm pretty sure you're excited too, Andre. Uh, I am. <laughs> I I really am. Yeah. That sounded fake, but I really am because yeah. I'm setting up my audio equipment. So, okay. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> well, uh, do we forget to mention anything? I mean, I think we're pretty. I think good. that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, we'll, Dan is on the other line. He's uh, on the west coast of USA. We're here in Europe. So. Um, you know, let's get uh, let's get it started. Is everything ready? Yep. Yeah, let's start this thing.
as we as we said in the intro, uh, Dan Carlin is with us. Dan, uh, how you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, thanks for thanks for taking your time. It's it's really cool to to talk to you. Um, like I told you a minute ago, uh, me and Ajay are both big fans of Hardcore History and Common Sense podcast. Uh, both amazing podcasts that we would like to talk about in this uh, in this in, in this talk that we're going to have. Um, really, uh, f- for my first question would be. How, how did you how did you start this this the podcast? How did you get into it? I mean, you were if if I'm not mistaken, you were a professional radio ho- host before. But what 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 got you into podcasting to start uh, the podcast that you're doing now? I was a professional radio show host, and and while I was in radio, radio got to be a not very fun place to work. Uh, there had been some legal changes, and there had used to be limits in the United States on how many radio stations a single owner could own. And generally it was like eight or something like that. And then the law changed that that pretty much took any cap off that number. So a couple of giant companies started buying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stations. And all of a sudden, you know, what used to be a pretty local operation where the, the boss who signed your paycheck was in the building with you turned into something where your station was one of 800 or 900 stations. And it just became a very we'd say in the United States, homogenized, sort of vanilla, uh, um, uh, uh, the, the, no diversity, no fun, no, no ability to be artistic. And so there were a lot of people um, in, the, in the early 2000s not very happy in radio. And I had for years had some of my listeners saying that, that the program that I did should be on the Internet even before there really was a mechanism for that, you know, very high-tech people who would say, oh, you know, we should put the show on the Internet before there were podcasts, and I didn't know what they were talking about. And then all of a sudden, um, I ended up working with a company that I started with some other guys, and one of the things that they wanted to try to pioneer was was online audio. And so I sort of became the test case, and we started a podcast then, and then I just uh, I left that company not long afterwards. I took the podcast with me, and then I started the Hardcore History podcast after that. So that's kind of how it got started. And we were, we've been doing it since 2005. It, it didn't seem like a long time, but people tell me today it's a long time ago. Yeah, 2005 was – I lived in the States from 2002 to 2008. And I, I remember uh, kind of just around 2005 – Hearing, starting to hear the word podcast, and I didn't know really what it was <laughs> at, at first. Uh, that was kind of the time where the, the podcasting really started, right? 2005, 2004 is when it's, it's kind, of, kind of started, right? Yeah, we uh, certainly weren't the first, but, but we were in pretty early. And, and the biggest problem we had, you just said it, at the time was most people didn't even know what a podcast was back then. Yeah, yeah well, that, That's still the case now, really. Like, it's not- <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. It means there's a lot of room for audience growth, right? Yeah, that, that, that's why like, everybody keeps saying. But uh, like, you, you, like, like this year, there have been a couple of like, really mainstream hits, like with Serial and all of that stuff. So yeah, I'm optimistic that it's kind of it's taken off. I guess. Well, I always feel like whenever uh, a program like that, or I always used to say here in the states, when ESPN's the sports network started podcasting, it meant that they would introduce a whole new bunch of people into how you get a podcast. And once you did that, they become a podcast listener that any of us could then exploit. So if Surreal has in- increased the number of people who've discovered podcasting, I think that has an effect that helps all of us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. That halo totally effect is always a welcome thing, basically. Here in the states, we call it a trickle down effect, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but but then I, I I always was wondering how, how do you how do you record your podcasting? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you're doing it in the studio. It's not like um, some of us who are basically doing it from home. Um, your your setup is a little bit more professional, to say so, right? I mean. Uh, I'm guessing with 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 so much material they have to go through and everything and prepare. Um, I mean, am I wrong or is it actually done in studio with some professionals helping you and so on and so on? Oh, I have a home studio, so we just okay. we, I, do, I do it here at home and and, uh, and and that's basically all. I mean, every radio show host I ever worked with wanted to work at home out of the house. So, well, so right, right there, podcasting had one advantage over radio right away. I can do it in my pajamas if I want to. So. Okay. I don't think I could ever go back. I'm, I'm totally spoiled. <laughs> that's good. No, that's 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 good to hear. And um, I just saw um, on on the internet, internet, I saw that you just won a, an award for um, uh, the 11th annual podcast awards. Um, your hardcore history podcast won an award in education section. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure that those awards like that and people recognizing your podcast has to be even bigger motivation for you for future to to keep doing what you're doing and 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 being like a proof. Uh, proof that you're you're doing the right thing. Well, boy, after ten years, I hope so. That's a pretty big mistake if I managed to go ten <laughs> yeah. years. Down the road. But 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 listen, the awards are great. But what what lets you know that it's it's working out well is the audience and the, the reaction that they give us and the feedback that they give us. I always tell people that if you go back and listen to some of our earlier shows, especially the Hardcore History podcast, they sound a lot different than the current one, and that's really due to audience feedback. They help us figure out sort of what's working and what's not and what we should do more of and what we shouldn't. And, and so what you have today is, is something I started, but something that the audience helped mold into what it is. So if it's starting to win some awards and, and, and whatnot, well, that, that's fantastic, but it's certainly nothing I did by myself. I had a lot of people in the audience helping to smooth the edges and figure out you know, the best way to approach things. So a little bit of a group effort there maybe, but I, pre- I appreciate you noticing. <laughs> no, but how yeah. has that been since you started in radio? I also have a radio background, like the audience feedback. Like how is it different when you're doing the podcast? Well, I was always a problem in radio in that I got, I got into radio and, and was lucky to get a job when I was really quite young. Uh, and all of the other, I was a talk radio show host, and all of the other people on the station were much more about the age I am now, actually. And so in the United States, the talk radio show audience, I don't know what it's like elsewhere, but in the U.S., it's quite a bit older uh, than a lot of media audiences. They used to say that if a person was 35 years old, that's a young talk radio show audience member. Uh-huh. But I was about 27 when I was doing it. And and nobody wanted to hear a 27-year-old spout off about politics if they're older than you. And and what's more, my, my views were a little bit, and they still are, uh, a little edgy for, for some people. And it was always the younger people when I was on radio that liked my stuff the best. And what's been wonderful about moving to the podcast is that is that you don't get that age breakdown anymore. There are a lot of 20-year-olds and whatnot who listen to the show. Of course, now that I'm older, I can get older people listening too. But in radio, it was always quite an uphill struggle for me. I sometimes fought with the audience because we, we didn't get along sometimes. But, <laughs> but, but, but so I kind of feel like I've, I've found my niche here. This is a much better place for me than radio. Radio's a little too narrow for my, my views. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, yeah perfect sense, yeah. Yeah, it's not very corporate. It's not a very corporate sort of viewpoint. Well, yeah, it's sort of designed like that, right? 
<laughs> the internet, I mean. That it's yeah, sort of well, and, and again, that's that's why it seems to be a perfect fit, not just for me, but for a lot of other podcasters, is I think it's, you know, you still have the corporate side on the internet. Obviously, all the podcasts done by the professional outlets are an example of that. But there's a space for the rest of us who didn't always fit very well in that mold. Yeah, for yeah. sure, yeah. yeah. Um, then, um, for those listeners, and, and most of our listeners um, are, are from Slovenia, um, even though we do, you know, like tonight, we do the podcast um, in English, we have a, we have a Slovenian audience mostly. Um, for people who maybe don't know your podcast, can you uh, maybe real quick, quickly just describe your two podcasts, Hardcore History and Common Sense? You know, I just like the fans to have a chance to, or the, the listeners to have a chance to, to hear from you what those two podcasts are about. I'm hoping they don't think I didn't do enough about Slovenian influence in the First World War. So I'll probably get <laughs> well, that. I, I was hoping there would be a little bit more of it. But Everybody it, felt the same way. If that I know, sense. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I totally understand. We, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit later. But um, fair enough. Okay. I thought I'd preempt that argument ahead of time. <laughs> Um, no, I, the, the, the one podcast we do that's on current events and sort of politics is, is very similar to what I used to do on the radio, and we call that common sense. And, uh, and that sounds like a, a, a sort of a non-traditional political viewpoint. I, I, it's hard. I call my political views Martian because they don't <laughs> really fit into anybody else's little box. Um, and, and, and I'm lucky enough to have open-minded enough listeners so that they can put up with all my strange little ideas and theories and ways of looking at things. But that's the one about politics and current events. And it's, it's a lot like a more um, older person's, because I'm an older person now, a version of the radio shows I used to do. And then Hardcore History is a sort of a strange thing. It couldn't really exist outside of podcasting. It was actually my mother-in-law's idea. I used to tell these stories at the dinner table. I'm a history fanatic and I was a history major in college and and so I'll often subject my poor family members to these horrific stories while we're eating or something and I think maybe to get me to shut up one night she said well why don't you talk about this on a podcast and I remember telling her because you know you have to be a historian to talk about this stuff if there's one thing someone with a a basic degree in history knows is that that does not make you a historian and she said to me I didn't realize you had to be a historian to tell stories and I thought to myself, hmm, that's actually a very good point. So the key, I thought, when we started doing these programs was never to pass myself off as a historian, just a guy who talks about it a lot. And, and I think originally we sort of modeled the show after the kind of conversations I would have with other history students. You know, you would always talk about what ifs, you know, what if Rome never fell, you know, any of those kinds of fun little conversations and I thought, well, you don't have to be a historian to have those kind of talks. And that was how I designed it. It grew over time into something much more complicated and in-depth and everything else. And hope, hopefully I'm not stepping on a bunch of historians' toes. But, but I, think, uh, I think you could call it a form of popular history. And the best feedback I get from listeners about it is that it interests them enough in the subject so that after they hear us sort of tease them with it, they go and they study more about it, which I – heartily recommend but uh but but so that's kind of how those two things developed and i'm as surprised as anybody uh that they're working well yeah because but that's a great way of putting it it's sort of complementary to basically reading a book like a proper historical book i think at least that's how i see it yeah yeah but yeah well it's more because you have a flair to your 
speech basically that makes it <laughs> like a hell of a lot more interesting if such some dry person read <laughs> what you, you like what you talk about that was a compliment by the way a really it's a one, very but, uh, long-winded appetizer right? <laughs> <laughs> no i i do i do want to ask you something because i i the, the episodes i like the most is where you have that little disclaimer at the beginning where it's more recent history like the red scare episode i guess in America, remind me what I said. That was a yeah. You, you, you sort of you sort of explain it like I'm sorry if this offends anybody, but this is sort of recent history, so there's still a lot of uh, like lingering like feelings with the audience, I guess, about stuff. And like, how do you decide where where that cutoff point is? Like, what's actual? Like, I don't know. I'm not going to say ancient history, but what's recent history, and then everything before that? Like, where's the cutoff point for you? You mean you mean what what is too recent for me to talk about? Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, um well, people have asked about uh Vietnam for example. So that huh. would be the 1960s to about 1975. And I've thought about that and I don't know if that's too recent or not. I certainly don't feel comfortable I don't think getting into anything in the 1980s. We have talked about things in the 1960s before. So I guess that the cutoff point is probably somewhere between 1970 and 1980, maybe, although I'm not sure I'd be too comfortable with too much from the 1970s either. Um, but I've never really thought about it that way, to be honest. I just know that, that you know, I mean, if I'm putting that disclaimer on a show about something that was mostly happening in the 1950s, I think something in the 1980s, 1990s is certainly too recent. And I think partially because, not just because it's still sort of raw, if you're going to talk about you know, the fall of the Berlin Wall or something, but because maybe we haven't had enough time for perspective to set in. I mean, there's a reason historians feel like you get a better look at things when you get farther away from them. You lose things, too, because that emotion is an important part of the story, and that sort of goes away the longer away you get from a story. But at the same time, I think you balance it out by the fact that you get a much bigger picture. Some of the propaganda begins to fade in the background. But even in this First World War show we just finished, I felt like there were still a lot of little areas where nerves might still be raw, people might still feel very uh, passionate and connected to the ideas. So, but I mean, I think you have to be willing to step on a few toes if you're, if you're going to stray from, I mean, I mean, even ancient history, I did ancient history and got some people mad at me once because it, <laughs> it, it, it conflicted sort of with, with the views of their particular uh, ethnic group or what have you. So, I mean, I think it's impossible to not upset some people, but you're right. I do recall doing a few of those disclaimers, and I sort of think we'll probably do a few more in the future. Oh, that's awesome! Because those are my favorite, <laughs> honestly. And every time you deal with America, like the 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 Red Scare, the whole J. Edgar Hoover stuff, that was awesome. For somebody that's not from the states, to just hear like anybody from the states talk about those times in that way was just yeah, that was amazing. So yeah, that's why I ask because it's kind of weird because you you really jump around a lot. <laughs> There's no really method to what you're going to cover next. Like, how do you choose, I guess? Well, I think that's how you can absolutely tell I'm not a historian, because I think these days historians are so fantastic at specializing, you know, and they'll spend many, many years learning everything there is to know about Carthaginian history. But, but that doesn't always make it easy for them to talk about something outside that specialty. 
I love to look at the big sorts of changes and, and, and maybe stuff that's impossible to really study and know well. It's just too big and amorphous. And, and as we jump around here, the only thing that, I, that these stories have in common is the people side of it. And, and one of the things I always try to understand myself, and so we do the shows around that, is you know, what are the people in these stories feeling or experiencing? And the first thing we have to understand is that there's no way to know. You can't even talk about it unless you throw that disclaimer out there because it's absolutely true. Not only is it impossible to know because I don't know what it's like to be on an ancient battlefield with the Romans and the Carthaginians, but I don't come from those cultures either. I wasn't raised with those expectations. And the, you know, the, these, are, these are people, but they're different people. And yeah. so you have to kind of understand, okay – there's no way we can get anywhere near those people. Now let's try anyway and, and see and see how li- how little tiny little bits of things we can at least start to say, "Wow, isn't it amazing that they could do this or that they could endure that?" I mean, the ability for humans to endure is one of those things that that never ceases to amaze me and that I think you see running through a lot of my history podcast, my my ability to just marvel at what human beings and our ancestors could do and live through. Well, yeah, right. that's putting it mildly, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, then, then, what is if you could point out maybe one or two things? What is about what is about history that is that is so attractive? To you? What attracts you to history the most? I don't know the answer to that. I've I've been into it so long. My mom always joked that I, it must have come from a previous lifetime. But but to be honest, I think it's it's the ability, and I think most people who are really interested in history have this ability, the ability to a little bit time travel in your head. You know, when you, if you can read a history book and look at the photographs in it and, and really get a good picture of that, I think that's, that's something only about 10 or 20% of the, of the people out there can do. And if you can do that, it makes you uh, a, a very good audience member, for example, for, for history books, popular histories in the bookstore, the, the history channels and the TV shows and the movies, that appeals to a group of people. And I've always thought it's the people that, that can relate a little bit to stories from other periods and experiences from other times. I don't think anybody can do that, but I think if you go to most universities around the world and you walk into a history department at those universities, you're going to find a bunch of students who were born with that ability. And I think that's our audience. I think that's what makes me interested in the subject. And I think whenever we're not sure what to do on the shows, I always pick whatever interests me, and I've, I tend to find that, that the 10 or 20% of people out there who can really sort of put themselves a little bit in the time machine and enjoy those stories a little bit more are, are the kinds of people that are going to think like I am. So I usually get a good response from listeners if I just go with what interests me. You know, those people who can, who can put themselves a little bit, as much as you can, into the shoes of people who live before us. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. And and what what did you you know through all the pod, the hardcore history podcast you've done from from which podcast did you feel you got most feedback that was most most uh, interesting for the for the audience? Not the podcast itself, but the era you were talking about, the times you were talking about. Is there one that was sticking out more than the other? You know, I mean, before this latest series, I, I tend to notice, and this is probably because the audience is increasing all the time. So right, right. with the first World War podcast we just finished up, the audience is quite a bit bigger than it was when we did the one on the Mongol uh, era. 
but that was the one before this one I would have said most people could relate to. I, I think they're enjoying finding out this stuff, and I think the people, you know, we hear from a lot of people on this First World War topic that know the topic very well already. And what they say is, I guess, that they find fun about it is we look at it a little differently. That's all. And it isn't anything, you know, as a guy who's not a historian, I'm uncomfortable, and I wouldn't, try to say that this view of things is right and that view of things is wrong. We try to bring multiple views of credible historians together and then say something like, well, this historian sees it this way, but that other historian sees it this way. Or this historian 50 years ago saw it one way. Nowadays, we look at it differently. And I think, you know, if you want to say what surprised me about the history series, it's how interested the audience turned out to be about the fact that historians disagree about these things and how viewpoints change and how, you know, one side of, of, a viewpoint can write a history book that sounds one way and another side can, can write it another. Uh, I didn't expect the audience to care that much about the nitty-gritty, the process of, of writing and arguing about history, but they've shown quite an interest in the subject. And again, hopefully you hope that they go and read some things on that after they hear the show. Yeah, right. And, and you just mentioned the, the six-part series about World War One, which you just, um, just finished. Uh, I think that it came out last week or it was early this week. I'm not sure. Uh, the, last, the last part, I mean... Um, this was a year and a half long project, um, and just the last episode was was over the over four hours long. Um, the, after all this, the whole six part series and and the, this year and a half long project, do you still feel that there was a lot of things that were left unsaid from your part, from from where you were your standpoint, or uh, did you think that six six parts was just enough? It was enough time. It was enough episodes to to basically wrap this whole World War One series into a one long podcast. I think we barely scratched the surface. In t in 24 hours of audio, we barely scratched the surface. And you know, I'm a I'm historically an awful uh topic picker because I I pick things that I think I'll be able to do so much more easily and then once I pick them and when it becomes too late to change my mind, I find out, you know, it's a little like leaping off a cliff in the dark and not knowing how far it is to the bottom of the cliff. And and I continually think it's going to be a lot closer than it is once I dive off the cliff. So 24 hours of audio, and I didn't include much on the Slovenes. I didn't include much. <laughs> I didn't do anything on Africa. The, the, I mean, you know, all these places that get left out of the story. And, and I think I said in the last show that the one thing doing these shows does for me is really gives me a lot of sympathy for all these historians who write these books and try to do these things. Because when I'm reading the books, I'll say things like, well, why didn't they talk more about this? Or why didn't they talk more about that? Now I know why they didn't, because you didn't want to have five 500-page books, you know, to have to have to go through. So barely scratch the surface would be my answer on that. And, and how, how, did you, how did you decide which uh, World War I events to focus on? I mean, because uh, there were just so many. And you, at the end of the day, you had to make a decision you know, which one to point out, which one to spend some more time on it. How did you, how did you, I mean, was this purely because you were able to read more books on, on, uh, on Ypres, you know, for example, or, you know, on the, on the, you know, what was going on in the West, uh, Western Front, or it was, it was just your decision at the end. Okay, I'll focus on that. Well, when, when you're reading the accounts and you're trying to, you know, I, first of all, I always pick subjects that I already know something about. There's no way for me to educate myself 
well enough in a, in a short period of time to, to do these programs and sound like I even know a little bit about them. So all the reading that I do once I start is to try to, to upgrade what I already thought I knew. I mean, some of this stuff, I mean, the First World War I was deeply interested in, for example, I've always been, but I mean, I went through a phase in the middle 1980s where I was just a fanatic, but a lot has changed since the 1980s. So there's a lot of things you need to read to up, upgrade and update what you thought you knew. And then you sit down and you try to figure out, now, how am I going to build a story about this? How am I, what order am I going to tell things in and what am I going to include and what has to be cut out and what do you have to have and what can you do away with? And then mixed up with all that are these stories that are just, you know, when I'm reading it, I always make notes at the things that blow my mind a little. And I always try to figure out how I can include that. So sometimes events get brought up that maybe are a little too small, but that story is just too good or too, or says too much about human beings or, or whatever it might be to not include. And so once you add all those things together and you say, okay, here's my pile of things that might go into that show, you try to figure out, you know, the, the, the problem, I had two problems with the First World War topic. One is that it's so huge. It, and, and very confusing. And the other problem that we had with the First World War show was that it's it, it's it's simply you, you, what's the, what's the best way to phrase this? The, the story is enormous, and, and, and the 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 ability to differentiate the stuff that's going on. I mean, like this last episode we did, the entire last year of the war, there's stuff happening all around, right? But the the place where things are being decided are on the Western Front in these giant battles. And yet those giant battles go on for months and months and months and months. So how do you keep a story like that fresh for the listener, right? If it's the same, if it's the same kind of horrificness day in and day out, how do you tell that to people without them going, okay, I get it. It's the same thing, day in and day out. And so sometimes we'll break it up. So in an earlier episode, we had this terrible battle that went on, and we told you about that. And then we did a little side detour, and we talked about naval technology. And a big naval battle that had happened during that period was our opportunity to change sort of the, the pace and the feel and the mood and go from the deep, dark horror of the soldiers in the trenches to something that was sort of technological. And, and we, we could talk about some other things. And then when we went back to the trenches after we did that, people were, were sort of refreshed. I, I described it as, as when you cleanse your palate with a little sorbet <laughs> in a restaurant between meals, you know? You sort of, if you keep touching the same nerve on the listener over and over and over again, for example, in the case of the trenches, the horror nerve, it becomes numb and it doesn't work anymore. And so you have to figure out ways, and this is what you guys do too, it's what all of us do who do podcasts. You try to figure out, okay, what's the pacing of this have to be? What do I have to include? When do I need, if you're writing an opera or something, sometimes you need to build up the drama to some big crescendo, and then you need to take the audience down again. So there's an ebb and a flow and a rhythm. And so as you're trying to organize the events, you're trying to figure out how to change that. And the big challenge in the last show was that the events that really were deciding things were on the Western Front. They were drearily similar. They went on for months and months and months. So how do you make that interesting, keep it fresh, and not just drive people crazy? I mean, I imagine if I was in a country that did not get much attention from Dan Carlin, I would sit there and say, really? 
you're going to spend two hours <laughs> on that Western Front thing at the expense of all these other interesting things. And it turns out, you know, one of the questions we ask ourselves all the time is what has to be in this story for people to understand? There's going to be a bare minimum. And that's when I had so much sympathy for all of these writers who concentrate so much on the Western Front because you end up finding out this story doesn't even make any sense if you don't. But, you know, as we were doing that, you sort of realize that all the people that are being left out of the story, including the parts we didn't get to about the treaty afterwards and all that, that that's, that's remarkably important too. And that if you go, it's part of what made this story so hard is that there is so much written material in so many different countries on this and yet not always the material you want. I mentioned in the last show, the people that really deserved more than anyone that got shortchanged in this series are, are the French. And part of the, not because they didn't get attention from me, but because they're really one of the major players. But the number of sources in English where you have the remembrances of French soldiers is, is minuscule. And so in that sense, the fact that so many writers in English have, have, have spent so much time on conducting the British because they're the English-speaking people, and the Germans, because they're the opponent of the English-speaking people, means that future people like myself fall into the same trap, because that's where the source material is, right? So I didn't have anything in, uh, in, in, from any of the uh, various Slavic peoples other than some stuff in Russian, for example, that we could draw on. So in a sense, we become victims to the material as well. Um, I'm not sure in 24 hours of content if I could have slipped a lot more stuff in from Africa, for example. But I would have loved to have some first-hand sources so I had more of a choice in the matter. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it does. It does. Yeah. How are you on I imagine, you, like I imagine you guys have lots of it, by the way. And Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, if I spoke your language or if I spoke French, are there lots of uh, accounts from First World War yes. veterans? Oh, wow. Are there? Okay. there, are, so, there I'm just, so, I, so I should have had a translator working with Yeah, we, we, did, we did an hour with a historian on World War One. so yeah. Yeah, Slovenian, <laughs> Slovenian historian. Yeah, yeah Slovenian so. historian, so yeah. yeah. Well, and I know you guys are, were in a key part of the, I mean, the, it, it's, it's the major area where things kind of heat, heated up to begin with, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, all right. and, the battle, and the battles of the Asanzo and all that, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And you know, it was it was definitely the whole you know the current Slovenian Italian border was was uh, was a area of some really fierce fighting up in the mountains, up in the Alps. Well, uh, let me apologize for everybody listening for short chat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. how do your no like what do your notes look like? Because I just imagine like you're the, like Russell Crowe from The Beautiful Mind, and like I don't like how do your notes actually like physically look like? Because the amount of information you pack into every show, like how, like is, is it just a Word document or how does that work? Um, what usually happens is it starts off pretty loose and I'll go in and I'll start talking and, and, and basically I talk until, until I sort of hit a wall or until, until I run into a hang up or the conversation just dies down and then I'll send that chunk to my producer who will put it together and then the next day I'll come in and record some more and they'll, and they'll push it together. But as I'm doing it, I get more ideas or a lot of times 
I'll end up, some book will arrive that wasn't here when I started. And so I'll start reading that and I'll throw some new things in. And, and what happens is you start to get kind of confused as the process <laughs> goes on. We, we even have a name for it. I call it the blue room. And the blue room happens <laughs> when you can't listen to the show anymore with fresh ears. When you've heard not just the one you're doing 20 times, but multiple versions of it. You can't keep track of them anymore. They all they all overlap and blend together. And 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 so then maybe I'll have another person listen to it and still say, now does this even make sense anymore? And they'll say something like yes or no. And and so by the time I'm halfway through this. Now I'm starting to make notes. In this version, we did talk about the ships. In this version, we did not talk about the Battle of the Asanzo because I'm mixing them up with previous versions. But I'm not, I don't have like a rundown or I don't have detailed notes. Although, if I find out tomorrow I'm going to talk about um, the Battle of Gallipoli, as I get ideas throughout the night, I might write stuff down so I don't forget them when I go in the, the booth tomorrow or the studio tomorrow. Um, so it's, it's a very loosey-goosey process. Sometimes I've had to resort to note cards. Sometimes I do it off the top of my head. Usually there's just a lot of scribbled stuff everywhere. You look, little pieces of paper and, and one time like a, a, a cover of like a menu I took from a restaurant. I mean, it's all... It, 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 you could never figure it out if I let you go in there in an archaeological project. <laughs> it would just, you know, there'd be coffee cups, pizza boxes, little things scribbled on the pizza box. It's very disorganized. Okay, well, that's pretty much how I imagined it. So thanks for that. <laughs> just, yeah. Well, it, it, it does when it, when the when the complete package comes out. I have to say, it does c come out as a very organized thing. I mean, it has. It has a head, a head and a tail, definitely. Um, well, I think we've know. been very fortunate, and there's been a little bit of luck, too. So let's not discount yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> then if, if you could point out uh, the most fascinating historic period, could you point out one? Uh, is there one that is your favorite, you know? You know, there isn't one, and that's why I can jump around like this, because all these shows we do are all from things I like. Uh, and, and, that, and that's why I pick them. And so you can see how varied that becomes. I get more interested in incidents rather than periods. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example of what I mean. One of my favorite incidents, and we used this in the show we did on the Assyrian Empire. That was a long time ago now. It was called Judgment at Nineveh. And it, it's more of one of our old-style shows. The shows used to be a lot shorter and a lot less detailed, and we would just focus on more of the weird stuff rather than give you a narration of a story. And I started the piece off with one of my favorite pieces from ancient history, and it's, it was written by uh, the Greek soldier Xenophon, who was one of the people in the famous Retreat of the Ten Thousand. It's one of those great Greek stories from, from the classical era of antiquity. And there's an incident in his account that's so fascinating to a modern person because um, as these Greeks are fleeing the Persian army and, and running and fighting the whole way through Anatolia and all that and, and northern Iraq, they come upon a giant, ruined, lost city. Giant, bigger than anything they could have found in Greece at the time. In other words, it's like a city... That is well, a city that's of a higher technology than their own. This is something modern people can't relate to. We don't we don't run into tech. You'd have to go to an alien world to have the same experience that Xenophon had. And he didn't know what the city was. He just knew that it was it was it was falling apart. I called it a ghost city in the show. But it wasn't a ghost city, it was an Assyrian city. 
200, 300 years after the Assyrians fell. And neither this Greek person nor any of the locals that they asked questions about knew what this was. And I just found that so fascinating. I thought it was like the end of the Planet of the Apes movie where they find the Statue of Liberty sticking out of the sand. I thought, now that's a wonderful moment. So that's the kind of thing I would build the beginning of a show around because I just, I love that sort of an image. Um, I love the images that play with the idea that we could still be subject to the cycles of history that other civilizations before us were subjected to. If you went to an ancient Roman in the height of Rome's fame and glory and said, is Rome ever going to fall? Is there ever going to be a time, you know, when, when, when it's ruins and people are looking back on it? I think they would have thought that was crazy probably. What if somebody said the same thing were going to happen to us? And if we're the only civilization that that doesn't happen to, well, then we become the exception. I think it'd be very interesting to wonder about future archaeologists digging up our cemeteries and trying to figure out if they could decipher these computer codes. You know, do they need a Rosetta Stone to try to figure out Microsoft Word so they can read our documents, you know? So so I love those kind of ideas, and we kind of work those things into the show if they seem applicable to what we're talking about. Yeah, and I was going to ask you that later. Like, what, what can we learn from history? Uh, you know, uh, I mean, can history in a way predict our future? Simply because if we can look at past civilizations that were rising and falling, um, I mean, can we learn from history that that could definitely happen to us too? And, and how could we avoid it and all that? Can history teach us that? You know, that's like the, the big argued about question all the time. Even, even amongst historians, I was reading one of those um, magazines that these historical societies put forward and they were having the discussion again. It was, it, was, it was even greater than that. It wasn't whether history could predict the future. It was, does history teach us anything at all? Or is it just kind of just like watching a TV series, sort of, you know, is it just interesting? And I was talking about that in some audio I recorded today for the other podcast we do where we were kind of talking about, you know, what can you see in the future by looking at the past? And what you can't tell, I mean, there's a famous thing we in America always have to listen to, and it always, it always, it gets involved in our political arguments where they talk about Hitler, and they talk about the Munich Agreement, and they'll say that history teaches us, and this is not historians saying this, this is you know people on radio talk shows and political shows and arguing politics. They'll say, well, what we learned from Munich is you can't appease dictators. And that's exactly the kind of thing history does not show you because of the variables, right? Hitler is a variable. Just because Hitler behaves a certain way, does that mean Saddam Hussein is going to behave exactly the same way? No, because they're people and everybody is different. But sometimes you can see trends that look like they're leading towards something. So I was talking in this podcast I just recorded about the police uh, shootings that have happened in this country. And we're having some political debate over, over African Americans who die in police custody. And I was pointing out that if something doesn't change, if things continue the way they are, you're going to see more of these riots that have started to break out. Now, there's no guarantee that things will continue the way they are, right? 9-11 in the United States, the terror attacks in New York, that's a perfect example about how the course that a place is on can change. But if you say, if things stay as they are, you can predict more 
demonstrations and riots in the future. I think that's the kind of thing history is not that bad at teaching. It's not foolproof because things do change and variables do come into play and, and, and wild cards, you would call them in a card game, come up. But, but if you say, if things continue as they are, you are probably going to see this and history shows that, I think those are pretty safe assumptions. I'm not sure I would go to Las Vegas and bet anything on it. <laughs> but, but I mean, I've always found it to be a kind of a good guide when I'm trying to assess a situation. It's not foolproof, but it helps you weigh the odds a little bit. Yeah, Does that make that, sense? Yeah, of course. Um, Andre, you wanted to ask something about the, the artwork. Uh, yeah, the artwork's awesome. I don't really have a question there. Just, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys like it because my, my wife hates it. My financial <laughs> advisor hates it. I get a lot. Of, but, but I try to explain to them that, that I want it to look dark. And I want it to look kind of movie posterish, and I want, or or like a, like the old record albums I grew up with. I, I want it to grab you, and I want it to say something. And the guy who does the artwork, I think he deserves all the credit in the world. His name is Nick Lay. He's a Canadian, and he's been working with us since I think two thousand and six. And it's taken that long for him to understand the way I think, because he, he can do all kinds of artwork. He had to figure out my style and, and I, that's kind of becoming our trademark. And he just, to me, he gets better and better. And I've had his art blown up sometimes. And there's all these little teeny ghostly things in the background that you can't even see when it's smaller sized. I mean, he really, he puts a lot of added depth into it. And, and it's become one of the things I enjoy the most is seeing the artwork up there, because for the longest time, we just used sort of a generic cover that was the same for everything. And he kind of talked me into, you know, we always name the shows something, because I always felt a name rather than a number gives a show its own personality. Yep. And, he and he said the same is true for the artwork. If, if you do the artwork right, the name and the artwork will give a, an individual personality to each one of these shows. And I have to say, he was, he was right as heck, and, and I love the artwork. I'm like you. My wife hates it, but I love it. <laughs> It's too dark for her. <laughs> no, that's true. And especially like podcasts, like there, there's so many now and like most of them don't really care about the artwork. So I, I like, I really appreciate every podcast that sort of has it, like make sure the artwork is kind of awesome and yours definitely is. So yeah. Uh, like, so yeah, that, that wasn't really a question, but yeah. Okay. Well, but you know, we figure if we're going to spend 24 hours on a topic, <laughs> Probably ought to have a little of its own artwork. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it should be more than somebody messing around in like MS Paint or something. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I, you hope anyway. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, then uh, when you when you were on Joe Rogan a while ago, um, I think your first appearance there um, at the beginning of a conversation with him, um, you you guys mentioned the, the the History Channel and the Discovery Channel, this documentary channels that we have nowadays that that uh, rarely really show the, the true historic shows. I mean, it's mostly reality TV. And uh, uh, I mean, what's, what's, your, what's your opinion about all these channels, about, you know, the TV that's pretending to have all the shows, the educational shows, but instead you see a lot of crap that basically doesn't teach you nothing. I mean, is that, is that good for, for guys like you who's, done, who's doing podcasts and open up more, more opportunities? Um, I mean, 
that's just something that I talk to my friends a lot. You know, we, you don't really find quality shows anymore on TV, and it's, uh, it's it's getting worse and worse. You go from all these reality shows about I don't know the 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 truckers and the the, the what do they call the ice ice Iceland truckers or something like this, or the guys that are assembling cars, and it's all on History Channel. They're supposed to have history, not some not some reality TVs that are that are like pre you know pre made that it's not even a true reality TV. Well, I mean, that's an issue, and it's a, I think it's an excellent question, and, and it's something I could talk far too long about. Mm-hmm. But, but, I'll give, but I'll give you a few, a few things. First of all, I have heard that some of those stations are changing course now, and I think they feel like they've hurt maybe what we say in the corporate world. They're branding a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I have heard that maybe they're, they're, they're doubling back a little bit on some of that stuff. But, but for me, yes, absolutely I feel like it's provided – a wonderful space that we can occupy here that they sort of abandoned but I, but it's worth bringing up because you know when we first were doing the the history podcast early on you know we used to say that when it you know we're not an educational we're not a university course we're not you know I'm not a historian all we were trying to do was was do something that was our standards were to be more accurate than what was on television. And, you know, uh, it, the, the point is, is that that's not setting the bar very high. Yeah. I understand. But, but sometimes, and not very often, the, people are very gentle and very kind with me, I have to say. But now and again, I'll read on a place like Reddit or something where, you know, there'll be some historian who's upset about us not being a, a thousand percent accurate on this or, or violating some historical protocol for historians on that. And I always think to myself, are you, do you say that to the History Channel? I mean, when they, show, when they do show a history thing? Because I'm just trying to be better than them. I'm not trying to do a course that's accurate by university standards. We just do our best. The reason I bring these stories up is to talk about human beings, really, and the things that make me interested about these situations, like that Assyrian ghost city I talked about earlier. And so I guess I, I, guess I don't want to be held to a higher standard than other popular histories, and, and and so that's I guess it's almost maybe a compliment that they're tr- that people like that are trying to hold us to an to a, a real educational standard. I mean, I, it's it's nice if they think we're good enough to be included in that class. Um, but my goodness, we thought we were doing something more like a, a a popular history. Now, the problem the History Channel always had, as I understand it, was you know it, it's hard to do a good history program in Hollywood or New York without a lot of money um, because you really have to then have some very good writing to make up for things. Like I, I've talked to TV companies and I don't get very far with them because we have different views on what's good. Um, but one of the problems they always have is what the heck do they use for pictures, right? So if I'm going to talk about any of the things I talk about in these podcasts, there are pictures for World War One. But if I'm talking about ancient Assyria and Xenophon and ghost cities, there's a limited number of things that they can show somebody. I can sort of paint a picture with my head. There's no sets. There's no computer graphics. There's, no, you know, so I, I do think that that the television people are are hamstrung a little. That's why they used to get criticized for showing the same World War II footage over and over and over again. It's the footage they have, you know? (laughs) It's a little little like the comment we made about not having more Slovenian first-hand accounts of Slovenian soldiers in the First World War in the English language, you know? I mean, sometimes you get stuck with what you have to work with. Yeah, and and even less less probably... uh, 
video material. I mean, you know. Well, oh, absolutely. Everybody was hamstrung by that. And if you go back before the video period, then you're shooting tombs and and hieroglyphics and and modern you know landscapes and maybe some computer graphics, but. Or recreations. I hate recreations. Oh, the worst. Just the worst. And and you know what? I'll tell you something. Every TV person who approached me said, don't worry. We do recreations differently, and they never do. (laughs) They're always always hokey. They always take a a grand, really wonderful historical moment and cheapen it. I mean, there's just – someday somebody will do it right. But I haven't seen it yet, and I wanted to experiment with some really edgy ideas. And the TV people looked at me and said, "That will never fly on this particular channel or that or that particular outlet." So maybe just a little too hardcore still for the TV channels. Yeah. No, for me, it just it just it, it just bothers me a lot. Like you know, in the evening, uh, you know, you know, kids are asleep. Like I'm I'm ready to watch a good TV show. I turn on TV, try to look through run through the run one of the you know historic channels. And then you see like Pawn Stars or Storage Wars or X Men or you know it just it just bothers me so much. So I had to bring it up and see your. I feel your just the on. same way you yeah. do. We're in the same group. I feel just yeah. like you. Do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, then a few days ago, I saw that you um, you didn't like um, the way your Wikipedia post uh, is uh, is uh, is about you about your political leanings. Um, did you want did you want to comment on that? I mean, you know, I saw you have you were going back and forth with. With a few uh, few people on Twitter, um, I mean, is that something that bothered you that Wikipedia was was trying to label you one way or the other? Um, since you know your common sense sense podcast and so on and so on. Yeah, imagine well, that Wikipedia got something wrong. That's that you know, never happens. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you guys a very if I can make this story short, which I'm not sure I can. I'll tell you a funny story about the whole Wikipedia thing. And listen, we all know what Wikipedia is. It's not one person. I mean, somebody goes up there and either maliciously or just thinks that they they can describe what you think in a short little uh, label. And so they... Um, yeah, they, but they the people, it, the people look at it. Like if people want to look somebody up, they'll most of the time turn that's to Wikipedia. Right. Right? That's just where... So let me tell you this story. So, so about a year or two ago, I get invited, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, it, it's maybe the shock of my life to go give some outside-the-box ideas to United States Central Command. The Pentagon people who who run the Middle East uh, uh, warfare and all that, they're coming out with a report. So they invited 11 or 12 people from outside the normal group of people that they talk to to give them some ideas for this report. And I thought I, I, I thought it was a hoax when they contacted me. I mean, I thought I thought somebody was playing a trick on me because, you know, they're going to call some podcaster who does a you know political <laughs> But but sure enough, they did. So I end up, long story short, I end up in this group with with some very big influential figures, and they and everybody has a, a folder that they give us, and it has the resumes of everybody else at the table. So I can see this august figure and this guy, and he went to this university and he teaches this. They're all just great resumes. For me, they had printed out the Wikipedia page on me. <laughs> And that's all they had. And so all these other people are, are thinking, wow, this is a really interesting group of people at this table. And then they get to me and it's the Wikipedia page. And it's not even right. And so, and so, and so I mean, that's when I guess I learned, okay, I might have to pay a little bit more attention to this, that it's not just a harmless little thing. And so, but I don't go there and alter it. I think that's kind of cheating. So when I saw this thing that I knew would upset a lot of Americans if they saw it, because it, it had said... I'm hoping I remember this correctly. It said I was a libertarian conservative, 
but I'm not a libertarian conservative. And so I think libertarian conservatives would have gone there and said, yes, I knew Dan was one of us all the time. But but everybody else would have said, oh, my God, I'm not going to listen to this guy. So if you're the same viewpoint as that, maybe it works. Maybe it was a libertarian conservative that thought that we would get along real well. And I must be, you know, I mean, that's how those things happen. But But you're right. I didn't want everybody else going and reading something that wasn't true. But I don't go to Wikipedia and alter it. So yeah, but, but, essentially, but, but, I knew if I told the listeners, somebody in there would fix it. Yeah, but, but, but Andre, maybe you know, you're a techie dude. Like, who can go on Wikipedia? How do you fix if you if there's some entry? No, there's, you know, there's a bunch of editors, and they have to work it out, basically. Okay. Like, That's so right. You need a citation from, a, like, a tr- they, they have trusted sources, right? So it needs to be, like, it, they, like your political leanings basically would have to be written on a page on a website that's a trusted source by wikipedia standards so then you could have like a citation you know to that page where it says you're a blank right i think that's that's the only way to fight that but like it's a convoluted system like it breaks down most of the time so i think you got off easy oh i definitely <laughs> can you imagine what they might have put on there I yeah but, <laughs> I agree with you. yeah uh, then, uh, what, what can we expect from hardcore history uh, and common sense in the future? You have any any long term goals, or you just go like month by month, year by year? Like, how do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you want to do with it in, let's say, three, four, five years from now? Well, on the political podcast, the current events podcast, Common Sense, I'm running into problems because we're approaching 300 shows now, and and when you've done 300 shows, how do you keep from continually repeating yourself? Uh, and, and how much should I worry about that? And, and, and you know, part of what, and you, you guys are in podcasting too, all of us are inventing this medium. I mean, we think it's been around a while, but 50, 60 years from now, amateur audio content, for lack of a better name, we're going to look like this is the really early stages and we're figuring it all out now. And, yeah. and, and when you've got a couple hundred shows under your belt, what, what should you do? In radio, you didn't worry about it. In radio, they used to say people are getting into their cars and out of their cars all the time and you're getting new people and old people every 15 minutes. So if you talk about the same things, it's no big deal. But should we in podcasting say, well, I spoke about that five shows ago. That show is still on the internet to be downloaded, so I won't talk about that again. Or is that something you shouldn't worry about because people are new and and listening for the first time and and you have old listeners who heard the old show but new listeners who haven't? So I'm having a hard time trying to figure out that problem on on the current events show. On the history show... I have tons of unexplored areas we can still have fun with. My problem is I'm, I'm trying to not always do epic, large, long 24-hour series. I, I had just done a big one on the Mongols when we did the First World War one, and I, I normally I would have I would have had a much longer break between the big shows, but we decided that the timing was so perfect, you know, with the hundred-year anniversary of the war, yeah. and we and we wanted to get a little bit of that good timing. But it meant that I did basically two of these epics almost back to back. So if you don't like the First World War or the Mongols, a whole lot of my free feed is First World War and Mongols right now. <laughs> so, so I want to I want to diversify the offerings a little bit, and I want to get a few more shows that are just single episodes. They might end up being four hours, but it'll be one episode, not six three- or four-hour episodes. And so part of what I'm working out here is how do we dial down the level of amount in the show for a while? I don't mind those big, long epics. I just want them to be 
unusual things. I don't want them to be the things we do every single time. So right now I'm trying to work on coming up with something that is less about a single occasion in history and something that is more about, um, you know, what you had mentioned the uh, uh, radical thoughts. Was it radical thoughts episode you'd mentioned? Uh, what was the Red Scare one? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think like, it's sort of a series that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but well, it's not even that. It's not really a single event, though. It jumped around a lot. Yeah. And, we, and and that's what the next show I'm planning on. I don't have it picked out yet. I'm doing that right after I get off the phone with you. I'm working on that right now. <laughs> but, I, but, I haven't been, but, I, but I I'll tell you what I'm thinking, just so you know. I'll give you guys a heads up. Don't, don't hold me to this because I'm sure I'll change my mind. But right now I'm playing with the idea of looking at catastrophes, disasters, and like um, we would call them emergency situations, 911 situations throughout history and how people in the past – we're able to deal with that. So in the same way I told you the Xenophon story with the Assyrian ghost city, there's a wonderful account by Pliny the Elder, I think, or maybe it's Pliny the Younger, about the, uh, about the eruption of Vesuvius once um, and how the Romans basically had to evacuate an island and, and all these kinds of things. In other words, trying to do what would be a very big task for modern people today with only what they had at hand in ancient times. So I was thinking about going and finding five, six, ten examples from history about how peoples in the past handled great fires or tsunamis or earthquakes or, you know, what's the rescue squad? How do they treat the injured? What, what do they do? And what's what's and so that would be more of what we call one of our Blitz edition shows, which I think the Red Scare one was also. Yeah, that was a blue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so it, th those were supposed to be shorter shows, and instead they've just <laughs> turned into sort of a different focus. And so rather than focusing on World War One or the Mongol conquest, this will focus on sort of, you know, isn't it interesting? There'll be less drama and more, isn't it interesting? We call them Twilight Zone twists. There'll be more of those and less narration maybe certainly a whole lot a whole lot less reading material for me i think <laughs> yeah you deserve the break man like oh yeah. well listen my wife is just i gotta move i don't have any place for the books anymore <laughs> <laughs> I, I can only imagine how that has to look like yeah. i have awesome. to say in the united states you get to write off business expenses and one of the really uh, uh great side benefits of being a history podcaster is all these history books are a tax write-off so i'm <laughs> I'm building, nice. a nice, I'm building a nice library for business, and, and it's one of the few things I can actually deduct from my taxes. <laughs> nice. Awesome. awesome. Uh, Dan, well, I'm sure, you know, after talking to you, the, the, the listeners we have in Slovenia and maybe around the world, but especially in Slovenia, are going to, um, you know, definitely tune in and, and check out your podcast. I see your podcast, uh, uh, especially the Hardcore History, popping up in uh, Slovenian uh, iTunes in the popular section. So uh, that's that's good to see, and I actually talked to a couple of my friends who, who have mentioned it. Uh, and and when we started doing this podcast about a year, year and ago, year and a half and ago, they were all like, "Oh, you got to get Dan Dan Carlin on. We got to talk to this guy. You got to talk to this guy." So, um, truly, truly appreciate you taking your time and talking to us. This has been please awesome. Please tell your Slovenian listeners, please tell your listeners that 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 if they feel they got slighted in the World War One history, <laughs> you, that, you that, have that, to that, stop. That there's just one of about fifty different people that did. So, so my apologies to. Everybody. I even, you know, what's funny? I went out of my way, for example, to talk about, for example, the Australians, and I still got a note from somebody that says, "Well, I wish you would have said it was this particular Australian division that did it." You know, you, oh my so, God. 
yeah. well, you can't win. I'm, I'm sure somebody from Italy would say, my gosh, you talked more about the Australians than you did the Italians. So there's no way to win in that situation. Yeah, you, I, you basically <laughs> just have to stop apologizing. Uh, just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty anyway, much. Guys, you guys have been very kind to me. I hope your listeners enjoy what we did. Yeah, Thank you, friends. Then, uh, by the way, uh, Daniele Bolelli said hello. Um, I just talked to him. I was texting him with him back and forth before we started. Um, you know, he's, I love uh, Daniele Bolelli. Yeah, I'll call him my friend. We talk a lot. Uh, you know, we haven't never met, but we we talked a lot. Um, you know, texting back and forth. He was uh, he was on our show a couple of episodes ago, and uh, we kind of kept in touch. So by by the way, he said hi. I just talked to him like an hour ago. I'm having lunch with him next week. I, I know. Think. He told me. I know. I know. So <laughs> yeah, you guys have fun. <laughs> Thank you, uh, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, maybe maybe um, we could just tell the fans, HardcoreHistory.com is where people can find everything about about. about I think it. it's at DanCarlin.com. That's right, DanCarlin.com. Um, that's where everything is. Um, people tune in, you know, check out the podcast, both of them. They're both great. Um, Don't sabotage else? my Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just yeah. I think somebody warned you on Twitter when you were complaining, like it's gonna get yeah. worse now. I think yeah, you can probably you expect thinking? that. Yeah, it's not the first time I've done something stupid like that. <laughs> yeah, don't mess with the internet, Dan. That's yeah. no, no. The internet is my friend. Ange, <laughs> yeah. uh, anything else? Any anything else we, we should mention at the end of the podcast? Uh, that's pretty much it. Like the show is on the, the detailspodcast.com. We're also in iTunes, so you can leave a review there. That'd be awesome because then more people can find the show and. Uh, then, then your Twitter account. You should. Uh, oh, okay. Well, uh, at Hardcore History is one, and at DC Common Sense is the other. And I appreciate that, guys. All right, uh, that's sure. pretty much it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm at Boki Nakbar on Twitter, and Anje. Oh, I'm at Atomic XX. That's the English account. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's a running joke. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for doing this, man. That's yes. this is awesome. anytime. You guys stay in touch, please. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Right, bye. Bye.